This is Neon Radio, episode 169, with high-performance coach Todd Herman. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What is up, my fellow Neonites? It's time for another episode of Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and today we have a good buddy of mine. His name is Todd Herman on the show, and Todd is a high-level coach for today's top performers and athletes and anyone who wants to perform at the top of their game, creatives, all of that. We talk about his book that just came out, The Alter Ego Effect, And what I really love about this book is that it teaches you how to create an alter ego to step into when you're needing to be in a state of peak performance. If you're a performer on stage, if you're a photographer, if you are any any space where you need to create a state change in your life, whether that's even being a parent and creating a state change to be present for your kids, there's so many different things. We talk about Beyonce and how she uses the alter ego Sasha Fierce when she gets on stage. And it's a persona, it's an it's an alter ego that she takes on when she goes into on the stage to embody those characteristics. And we talk all about that kind of stuff on today's podcast and how you can apply it to your own creative career and your create your creativity, whether whether whatever discipline you may have. Todd is a a, a great business coach as well. He's helped me with a few things along the way. And yeah, overall, amazing dude. You've got to check this out. So with that, give you today, Mr. Todd Herman. All right, guys, what's going on? I'm excited to bring to you today's guest, Mr. Todd Herman. He's got the book, The Alter Ego Effect, which is crushing it right now. Todd and I have been friends for quite some time, a few years now. Yeah. And uh, it's been exciting to see the process. And he is an expert. He coaches top athletes and performers and all kinds of people. You can probably tell us a little bit more. Let's just dive into the idea, just a little recap of of your story and how you came to the idea of the alter ego effect, and then we'll just go from there. Yeah. Well, I think to start with is one, we all naturally do this. So I played with this as a kid, you know, when I was a young athlete growing up in the middle of nowhere in Canada on a big farm and ranch. And so when I was out on the front driveway, I would pretend to be my favorite hockey star, Patrick Waugh at the time, to be be a goalie. But we, we do this where we we sort of try to maybe aspire to be the heroes that we see that are out there. And Mm -hmm. then we sort of, you know, we put on their uniform or their Jersey and we go out there and we, you know, try to activate that better version of ourselves. So that's, I just want to kind of put that point in there because one thing I always remind people is we do this naturally, this whole idea of an Mm -hmm. alter ego. So, but how I discovered it was I continued to use it when I played because I managed to play college football and was a nationally ranked badminton player. And so I was a, I was a pretty good athlete Mm -hmm. and I would never go under the court as just Todd. I always took out these other, you know, heroes, <laughs> yeah. heroes with me that were, I was always a scrawny kid. And so I took out people who are, you know, tough, mean, very accomplished football players. And we can maybe talk about that later. But then when I 
and I had no sort of aspiration to get into business by, you know, coaching people on mental game and peak performance back in the late nineties when I started, it was, I was just really good at managing my own mental game. And then when I got done playing, I started, you know, volunteering at a high school, coaching some of the defensive backs on football. And I'd spend way more time. I'm like, listen, you don't need to do any more cone drills or sprints or any of that. You're already working pretty hard. Your challenge is that you don't prepare well, you don't have good routines, you don't goal set properly. And all this stuff helps to focus the mind Mm -hmm. so that when you get out there on the field, all of your capabilities start coming out of you. Mm -hmm. And then I start sharing some other, you know, tips that I had around, you know, sort of managing the anxiety and stress of things, focus and, you know, relaxing more. But this sort of led into people asking me to mentor their sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know, I don't even know if there's this, is, this is mental game coach. I didn't have a mental game coach. Is this even a thing? And, and this is sort of long before life coaching was, was a, was a big thing. So long story short, just ended up loving the work that I was doing and a few years in started working with better and better quality people. And they would say things, whether it's pro athletes or Olympians, they would comment on themselves saying, you know, when I go out on the field, it's, you know, I, I was, I step into this other persona, this other identity, or this, I activate this other self. And I was sort of coming up from, at it from the approach of, oh, that's really fascinating. I used to do the exact same thing. Hmm. I, I didn't notice yet that it was a real strategy that people use to consistently perform at a high level. And then one day when I was getting a, an athlete prepared for the Athens games in 2003, four, she, she talked about her alter ego. And then all of these dominoes just dropped in my head where I was like, wait a second. Yeah. All of my consistent best performers talk about this other self. So I'd go back and I would interview people and talk to old clients and try to unpack the whole process that everyone else is doing instead of it just being my anecdotal thing. Yeah. And then I started to create this process, this system. And then, you know, I've become well-known at the highest levels of sports, you know, worked with Real Madrid, Yankees, Boston Red Sox, tons of NFL, you know, sports, you know, PGA golfers, you name it. And I'm known for the guy who comes and builds alter egos and secret identities to help people (laughs) transform their performance. And the whole purpose of my book was, this was always my secret sauce. So I really didn't talk about it that much. It's like the KFC's 11 herbs and spices type of thing. (laughs) Cause I'd really found and discovered that's, I became known as the quick hit artist, the guy who could come in and fix someone really, really fast. Cause the moment you shift your identity, the moment you change the way that you look at yourself or associate with yourself, it changes behaviors, it changes attitudes, it changes beliefs because you're no longer shackled to your own narrative and your own story. Yeah, absolutely. And so the book is me walking people through the entire process. And when I say walking people through, I mean, everything I could ever teach about building alter ego is in the book. And then I talk about the history and the science of it as well, because it's not just anecdotal. There's a lot of brain science and and psychological science about why it all works for people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it goes super, super deep and the the wirings and and even the subconscious, which is what 95% of your programming is made up of. Yeah. That, that, that past stuff, those, I call them the puppet strings that hold you back and they're hidden a lot of times. You don't (laughs) even realize it. And so the challenge for a lot of people is they end up trying to, you know, ask, well, why, why do I do that? And they start diving into it. And, and from my experience, you know, I've got 17,022 hours now working with people one-on-one, like I'm a practitioner and yeah, I've got training programs and, you know, there's a lot of leverage that I've got inside of my, sort of training world, but I love the one-on-one side of it. And asking why is for some people just, uh, it's not a dangerous question, but it's fraught with a lot of pitfalls because just the way that the mind works, 
there are some connections that are linked up that <laughs> make no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Because chemical bonds happened in a, in a moment of trauma and all of a sudden now when someone pulls the keys out of their pocket, something triggers inside of you and you go into a, you know, fearful rage. And that was because trauma happened at one moment and then it got linked up from two days before when keys came out of someone's pocket. And now all of a sudden that sound triggers an event that, so why and diving into it, I think for a lot of humans and people is maybe not the best strategy to try to find what you're, what you're meant to go do or, um, you know, unravel the psychological challenges that we've got. Right. Yeah. And, and even that you talk about the book or you have like, you, you have almost, you create your own triggers yeah. to trigger your own alter ego yeah. that you've created. Yeah. What I'm really excited to talk to you about is, is how that, how the alter ego effect as relates to creativity. Cause that's a huge yeah. part of what you read the book. You talk about Beyonce, mm-hmm. Sasha Fierce, and, and, you know, I think this, that's going to be really helpful for the audience here is, yeah. is how can we utilize the alter ego effect to actually catalyze creativity across different, you know, there's performances, but then there's also like artists in the studio. There's yeah. artists, you know, you know, a lot of photographers here. And I yeah. think, how, how can we create an alter ego that makes us even better on set yeah. or in in the flow of things? And Well, and what, I, what I like about your audience is I, I don't know if there's a more custom-built audience that could embrace <laughs> this concept to find a completely new gear with their creativity. Because the one thing that this is doing is, you know, when, when we're going through our most formative years of development. It's from the ages of six months to seven years of age. Mm. That is when we are building up skills at such a rapid pace, right? And we're learning about the world around us. And what people are, are missing from a brain science perspective is the reason that we're able to adopt so many skills and traits at such a rapid pace is because we're actually caught in what's called the theta brainwave state, which, which sits below beta and alpha. And theta, you know, we've all experienced it where, I don't know, you have, we've talked about this in the past where you're so engaged with the activity that you're doing. And then you look up at the clock and it's like five hours later or four, and it feels like you've only been doing it for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's the flow state or zone. Yeah. And so what's important for what I want everyone to, to realize is anything that I ever try to share with people is that that's my destination for someone. Because once someone's locked in the zone and flow state, every single ounce of your capacity capability, your competencies, your creativity comes flowing out of you untethered from, you know, the strings of doubt and worry and judgment and criticism because your your conscious mind isn't there to try to narrate and stop you and say, well, that's kind of, you know, that wasn't a very good circle that you just drew or whatever the, <laughs> the case, or that was a terrible photo. You're just caught yeah. up in the moment of creative expression. And so what children do really well when I talked about this at the beginning is we play with these ideas of you know, other people and try to wear them and see what could I do if I was Superman or Wonder Woman or Black Panther or whatever the superhero might be or favorite athlete or favorite entertainer or artist that you might be inspired by. Mm-hmm. And and that is actually a clue for what we should be doing even now because what it's this, this playful attitude, which we naturally embrace as a kid is tapping into our creative imagination. And our creative imagination is the great superpower that human beings have. Mm. You know, love is powerful. Gratitude is powerful. They're, they're all powerful. However, other animals express it as well. But other animals on the planet, no other animal on the planet has creative imagination like we do, where we can suspend the disbelief of what we think we can and can't do mm. and step into another version of ourselves. We get to create our worlds like no, nothing else on the planet. 
which is why this audience is, I mean, that's what you're doing every single day is you're creating something. Yeah. But are you creating it underneath a bunch of rules of what you think you can and cannot do? The great kind of creator's dilemma Mm -hmm. is a lot of times your taste and your palate for the thing that you appreciate that you're doing right now can sometimes have a distance between what you're able to do right now. Right. So like, you're like, man, I, I love editorial type, type photography and I love the stuff that Nick can do. And it's just amazing. I know follow him and I know he shares his tips and his strategies or whatever. And then you go out there and you try and do the same thing. And you're like, mine looks nothing like what <laughs> Nick just looked like. And, and then you go, what? And human beings, we do this. We're hard on ourselves and we beat ourselves up and then we stop the pursuit. Mm-hmm. However, what if instead of quote unquote, you and the you that you identify with right now went out and was doing the photography, but instead you created this sort of alter ego that is now your, you know, editorial photographer type that's, you know, imbued with the same traits and abilities of, you know, Nick or insert the name of anyone or anything else that you're inspired by. And that's what you embody when you go out there and maybe- And I mean, I could walk through the entire process, but what's what's powerful is when you do that, you've just now created and stepped into your creative imagination. And when you step in your creative imagination, it actually is like the back door to peak performance because mm. it sidesteps doubt because no longer are you doing it. So the gremlin in your mind isn't going to try to tell you that you can't do it because it's just like Beyonce. Sasha Fierce went out on stage, not Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Because Beyonce grew up in a gospel singing family in Houston, Texas, where she was always going and singing hymns in front of a, you know, a church crowd that loved her voice. Now her father, he recognizes her talent and his sister and her sister's talent, and he puts her into a group of eight girls. And now they're around Houston going into competitions, but they're singing provocative lyrics and dancing provocatively on stage and sometimes wearing provocative clothing as they grew older. And, you know, that's gonna challenge Beyonce's sense of quote unquote self Mm -hmm. because she sees herself as a, you know, gospel child who, you know, follows the Lord or whatever, but now she's going out there and singing these provocative lyrics. So it challenged her in the beginning. So she created Sasha Fierce, the entertainer and performer that embraced this stuff. And, and she has so many different interviews where she says, it's like an out-of-body experience. I can't even feel my body when I'm out on stage. Hmm. You know, she's like, there's a lot of times because I, you know, am doing such aggressive movements out there or dancing aggressively that I'll come back into the dressing room later and I'll find cuts and scrapes and I'll be like, where did that come from? Because I can't remember it. But that's because Sasha Fierce was out there. Mm-hmm. And again, that creative imagination, she tapped into it. And what's key about this, and you know this from a creator standpoint, Mm-hmm. When you're tapped into your playful self, because yeah. yeah, we all have tough stuff that we've dealt with in our lives. Some people, some of us have had some tremendous traumas that have happened to us. And sometimes we allow that to create a narrative and a story about what we think we can and cannot do because we continuously replay that movie in our mind or that sound in our mind or that mm-hmm. audio in our mind and it can trap us. But that isn't you. That is, that's, that's something that happened you know, that stuff that happened to me, it's something that happened, but that isn't me. And for a long time, I let that hold me back in many ways, emotionally and with the pursuits that I had. But the moment I would step into this other identity that I'm custom building, that it's because it's what I want, it's what, how I want to show up. Yeah. It was just untapped a different level of performance for me. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's interesting that you were talking about the the whole, I want to do editorial type of photography and you've kind of actually hit me at a space where I'm at of like, okay, now I've done all this. Now I'm like, okay, how do I up level where mm-hmm. I'm at? And even that's a big piece of like celebrity editorial stuff Yeah, of like, okay, well, how do, how does one craft an alter ego? And I don't know how, how in depth you yeah. want to go walking through the process, but I think it could help, you know, shed a little bit of light in t- for, for people listening. Yeah. It's like, how does a photographer or a creative craft an alter ego to sidestep that doubt to getting to that next level? Because a lot of times you just, you try, you try, you try, you try, and yeah. like you get rejected, you get rejected. I mean, that that's a huge part of the creative business is getting rejected so much, right? Mm-hmm. Which has happened to me yeah. a ton. So how does like one cre- create that alter ego to yeah. sidestep the doubt and create a world of play while still dealing with the, say, the, the pressures of, you know, of delivery and performance and, and all of these things? Yeah. So let's let's break down like the most kind of maybe the the basic, but a very usable form of an alter ego for people. Because in the book, yeah. I mean, I talk about so many of the different ways that you can come at it and the the science behind it. But step one, we've already covered because it's the actual role or field of play I talk about or mm-hmm. environment that you want to go and, you know, operate at a higher level in. So yeah. it's always alter egos and ourselves always operate in context to a specific area for us. We're all different. Like, I mean, how you are when you're hanging out with friends and you're out is going to be different than who you are when you're hanging out with your family or when you're on set and you're taking those photos. Some other elements of your kind of persona are being, are coming out of you, Mm -hmm. right? And one thing that traps many people is they try to take a single self and a single identity out into the world and it traps you Mm -hmm. because you know, when you start thinking about life in context, now you can start custom building the traits and abilities that you want that you know are going to help you succeed in that area. Mm-hmm. So the first place is, okay, we've got our role that we're playing, that character or that, not even character, because it's the role that we're playing and it's photographer or, or doing photography. Now, the second step is taking a look at what are the traits and abilities, like suspend the disbelief about what you think you can and cannot do. And instead, if we ask the question of, if you could go into the lab and custom create a uh, creative photographer Mm -hmm. that is going to help you to win and destroy it and just conquer it or whatever in that area. What what traits and abilities would they they have? Would it be playfulness? Would it be detailed? Would it be free-flowing? I don't know. Like that's what someone else has to come up with. And, And then, so you can come up with those traits and abilities yourself or you can go and you can take a look at it from the perspective of, is there someone in some or someone or something else that you admire that you sometimes quote unquote you wish you were that person or yeah. you wish you could be like them? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the surface level. My question after that is, okay, great. What is it you appreciate about that person mm-hmm. or the way that they're showing up? Because now you're getting into the traits and the qualities part, and that's what I'm hunting for. Mm-hmm. I'm not hunting for you know having people show up as a second rate version of Beyonce or a second rate version of Morgan Freeman or a second rate version of Nick Onkin. But it's, there's something about you that they appreciate. So what are those traits? Mm -hmm. And now we're going to go to the next stage, which is let's find an item, an artifact, a totem to help activate those qualities. And the reason is because it taps into already existing 
psychological phenomena that we've got going on inside of our minds called enclosed cognition. Mm-hmm. And enclosed cognition is that we as human beings, we tell stories and we wrap meaning around the items that other people are wearing, the clothing other people are wearing, and we automatically give that person a story in our own mind of who they are and what they're capable of. Like if someone walks in here with a doctor's coat on, we naturally, without even thinking about it, we think, okay, they're competent, they're successful, they're detail-oriented or, or like whatever. Yeah. I mean, your story is going to be slightly different than mine, but those are kind of the global stories that end up being told. Yeah. And we, we do this with other articles that we put on that we've got meaning for. Like the moment you put on a pair of glasses, it's like, scientifically proven that you're going to start to adopt the traits of someone who's going to be more uh, typically confident, articulate, mm. uh, decisive, smart, quote unquote. Yeah. And so now if we can find a totem or an artifact that starts to represent and embody the traits and the qualities that we're trying to activate, now we've just greased the slide towards stepping into a new identity for ourselves. And so for me, like I have a different uniform that I wear when I'm in business mm. as opposed to when I go home with my, and I'm with my kids. Yeah. And, and that's just me playing the shapeshifter of life. I'm just more intentional about how I show up yeah. than other people are. Right. And it's because I've had the chance to, to play with this stuff for such a long time and see the power of it when we do this. Yeah. And me really identifying that, you know, yeah, me being confident, articulate, and decisive plays well for me in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. As a, you know, I need to be a challenging personality type when I'm working yeah. with you know, ambitious people. But when I go home to my three little kids... The last thing they want is the challenging personality type who's <laughs> confident, decisive, and articulate. They want the playful, fun, creative, patient dad who's going to get on the ground and play with them or pull out the Tupperware mm-hmm. you know, from the uh, cupboards and you know, play the drums with them. And yeah. so my inspiration when I go home for that person is Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. I can't find a better inspiration for the traits and how I'd want to show up yeah. around my kids. Yeah. Because- I'm probably not the most patient person. That's the, that's the muscle that I flex because of the work that I do. Yeah. But that sure as heck helps me as a, as a dad to three little ones who are destroying our home, you know, every <laughs> single day. I'll activate the play. Yeah. So, so that would be it. It's like, you know, A, what's the type of photographer? Or what are the traits that you want to really embody when you go out there? Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to stop showing up and being so concerned about what the, client is thinking of you as you do your fun crazy like as you get up on the the chair like i've seen you work like (laughs) you get up into odd little positions in order to capture some sort of new little shot and for me i love seeing it because i love seeing someone who's at the level that you're at just do their thing and it's inspiring and it's playful and it's fun to do that. But if, if you were doing it and you're like, oh, what's Todd thinking of me when I get up on, like, I mean, that's, that's going to break, that's going to break your flow. Yeah. And, and now yeah. the chance of you getting an amazing shot that ends up on the cover of a magazine because someone pulls it off online and saying, this is the shot of 2020 or 2021 or whatever yeah. is lost. Yeah. So what are those traits? And then we use, and we just have this very intentional ritual of, you know, like, Hey, like when we slide that ring on or we put that necklace on or put those glasses on or hat or jacket or whatever it is for someone that this is, this is how I am going to choose to show up. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is it a matter of, I mean, just besides the putting on of the article, I mean, uh, there's gotta be a moment, you know, like you said of intention, is there Mm -hmm. like any sort of practice around like, okay, I'm here. Yeah. I'm grounding myself. 
and I'm stepping into this other yeah. space, this other ego. That's exactly it. Yeah, you're. we're trying to attach as much meaning as possible to that moment and that artifact. Mm. So just like when Superman goes into the, the phone booth, it's like the, it's what I call the phone booth moment. You yeah. Know? When, when he goes into the phone booth and he switches his clothes over, that's yeah. like, you know, Clark Kent isn't showing up now. It's, it's Superman going out to do his, do his job and, yeah. um, you know, save the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason why everyone else can't have that same level of playful attitude with the way that they're operating their lives. Life's already challenging enough and serious. I mean, I've always come by the fact that I'm a fairly serious person all my, like I was, I was kind of a serious kid yeah. and especially on the exterior. But what people don't see is on the inside, like, you know, my mom would always give me a rough time when we'd be riding in the vehicle going into town from the farm and she would look over me and she's like, can you smile? Or like, (laughs) what's wrong? And I was like, nothing's wrong. (laughs) What are you talking about? She's like, well, smile. And I'm like, I'm not unhappy. Now I'm unhappy, actually. <laughs> you know, I was just, I was always like thinking about things, and but I wasn't unhappy. I think I have one of those RBFs, those wristing bitch faces, I guess. <laughs> but on the inside, I'm actually, I mean, you and I know each other pretty well. Like I'm a massive jokester and, and, and all that. Maybe that doesn't come across in sort of my online brand or whatever, or the way that others, but I like saving that for the people who really know me. I, yeah. Like I love busting people's balls kind of thing. Yeah. But th- this whole idea kept me super playful and light because I was already serious enough. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to take myself even more seriously and be concerned about what everyone else was thinking about me, mm. especially when you're showing up in front of like one of the greatest athletes on the planet. And if you don't show up with a fairly solid level of confidence, yeah, because they're going to bring their really big personality and the weight of their platform to you mm-hmm. and me as the coach who needs to remain as the authority in the relationship. Yeah. I need to, the, the experience I need them to have is like, they're crashing on Prudential rock. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I, I get that everyone else works for you for free, but you're the one who came to me with the need. Mm-hmm. Like you need what I have. I am the absolute world's best coach and mentor at helping you overcome whatever drought you're in or whatever slump you're in fast. No one can beat me at that. I've, I've had a standing challenge in the industry that, you know, if someone wants to challenge me on it, great, let's take two clients. You take one, I'll take one. And uh, the one that can get their client the results, the result the fastest, the other one has to quit the industry. Okay. That's the level of confidence I have around. And, and I send, I want to have that signal out there in the marketplace. So people go, yeah, I want that. I want to only work with the best. Yeah. You know, you and I are good friends and, and this chaps my ass more than anything, especially for this creative community is how many of you, not how many of you, the person that's listening right now, have you ever had a good friend who knows that you're great at what you do, ask you to do something for free for you? Yeah. Have I ever asked you to do something free? No. I demand that I pay you. Yeah. And that's important to me because I need, I want my friends to know that I respect the incredible amount of work that it's taken to get to where you're at. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, you know, it's Nick Onken. I'm not hiring some Joe Blow to come do my photos. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you're almost too good. My, my social media team just like, man, I, I don't even want to edit these things. I feel like I have to send them back to Nick <laughs> to get them edited um, in order to put them out on Instagram or something. But yeah, that whole, that you're going back to the whole moment thing, not to go off the tangent, but like 
really honoring the fact that you're owning this space. Like I'm not allowing any circumstance, any Mm -hmm. outside situation or anyone or anything because it's, you know, not Todd showing up. It's super Richard that's showing up. And because I was adopting the traits and abilities of Superman, Superman and Joseph Campbell were my two inspirations for that. And um, to some extent, uh, Benjamin Franklin, but the way that I had it worked out in my head, I didn't want to dishonor their memory. When I say that I'm going to be activating them, I didn't want to dishonor their memory by not showing up like they would. And this actually might be a really good kind of point to explain how I did that when I was playing sport, because it gives a really good illustration for people on how I build out this whole idea of a mental movie theater in my mind. You know, everyone talks about visualization and how important it is, but you know, as a, someone who's been teaching it for a long time, yeah, we think in pictures in our head, Mm -hmm. but just because we think in pictures doesn't mean that we're good at visualizing in an intentional way, the way that we want things to be turning out for ourselves. That's very different. That's a skill that you got to build. So I like to help people build out mental movie theaters. So when I was a teenager and I'd go into the, my high school football locker room, as we were preparing for a game, I would sit down on the bench and I'd have all my equipment out in front of me. And while I was putting the equipment on, I would imagine myself walking into this mental movie theater that I had. And there was two doors at the opposite end of the room Mm. from where I walked in. And now I had uh, three specific groups that inspired my alter ego. One was Walter Payton. The other was Ronnie Lott, both Hall of Fame football players. And, you know, I don't want to dive into the, you know, nuances of those guys to the creative community because typically (laughs) it's not a sports (laughs) loving crowd, but Walter Payton, Hall of Fame football player uh, running back and, Ronnie Lott, this devastating defensive player who would just destroy people with, the, with his tackles. And then the, the other group was a, a tribe of five Native American warriors. Mm-hmm. So where I grew up in Canada, rich with Native American history, it's actually where Sitting Bull came after he fled America after the Battle of Little Bighorn, came to my family's land, and then settled down just uh, south and a little bit east of where we were. So our entire ranch is filled with like fire rings. And I would go out when I was a kid hunting for little arrowheads and stuff. And wow. so Sitting Bull and Geronimo and, and stuff were heroes of mine. So these, this tribe of five Native American warriors were, would come in led by Geronimo and they would all approach me and Walter Payton would uh, start to walk up to me and Geronimo was carrying five trading cards in his hand. And next to me on my bench was five trading cards, mm. three of Walter Payton and two of Ronnie Lott. And Walter would say to me, as Geronimo would reach out with his five trading cards, he'd say, take these cards as a embodiment of all of our traits and qualities so that when you go on the field, you're taking a bit of each of us with you. Mm. And just as I would reach out for the cards and I'd put my fingers on it, then Geronimo would tug them back away. And that's when Walter Payton would lean back in and he'd say, but don't you for one second dishonor us and our memory by not showing up like we would. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but that's, that's, that's why when we're, when we're finding the inspiration for this other identity, we want to be emotionally connected with it. Mm. We're not just grabbing Beyonce because it's what other people say. No, no, no. Find someone or something else that you're really connected with. And it could be someone completely obscure. So then anyways, I take these five trading cards and now I'm sitting at my bench and I would take one of Walter Payton's and I'd shove it in my helmet because I wanted to think like him out there. Mm-hmm. And I'd take his other two and I'd put them inside my thigh pads of my pants because I wanted to run like him. And then I took the two of Ronnie Lott and I'd shove them underneath each of my shoulder pads and because I wanted to hit like him. 
Mm. And when I'd put on my helmet and snap it, that's when I would feel the spirit of the Native American tribe coming inside of my heart because that's I wanted to take them in my kind of emotional resonance out onto that onto that field. And that's when the, that's when the transformation happened and my alter ego's name was Geronimo. And so, I mean, I love it. I love <laughs> when I was at, when you're a 156 pound soaking wet kid, that's six foot tall. I had, I could not put on any size and weight. That's what it looked like was coming at you. Yeah. But I was a devastating hitter. I was great because Todd wasn't hitting you. Ronnie Lott was hitting you. Walter Payton was hitting you and five native American warriors were hitting you at the exact same time. And the great thing was, was the side effect of this is I played in pretty much every single game that I competed in, in the zone and flow state. Because mm. that's, again, remember, like I said, it's the back door to performance. I wasn't thinking when I was out there, there'd be a lot of games where I forget what even happened out there. Yeah. And everyone else is asking me, how do you do that? What do you train like? And I'm like, it's all in the head, man. Like that's, that's how I'm untapping my skill. Yeah. And so that's the pro, like when you can connect so deeply to this identity, it allows you to move past all of that other stuff that has been stopping you a lot of times. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, there's so much, I think what comes up a lot too, and obviously in the creative world, especially with that is self doubt Mm -hmm. and like, am I good enough? Am I, you know, especially when you're like working with clients and things like that. So it's, I totally, I totally understand what you're saying. And I mean, to go jump back a little bit, you were talking about creating a, uh, the identity around around that self-doubt and charging, you know, what you're worth. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would you say to that in terms of the alter ego? Cause I know a lot of creatives struggle with having that confidence to charge what they're worth. And like, there's different levels of, yeah. of, of that as well. How does, how does yeah. one play with that? Well, here's the one thing that we're not, I'm not overcoming the person that doesn't want to put in the work. Right. Like you got to put in the reps. Like yeah. I didn't get to working with pro and Olympic athletes because I just put out on Twitter in my bio that I worked with pro and Olympic athletes. There's a lot of that bravado that happens nowadays where people are trying to, you know, race to the finish line before they've, you know, put in the work yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent three years in the very beginning working with young athletes, you know, 10 to 17 year olds, charged $75 for three sessions. It was a package <laughs> of three. And I did that for three years. Yeah. Um, but boy, did that ever allow me to do the reps and see what's actually working out there? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I had my methods, but that was anecdotal in nature. I, have, I, wasn't, I didn't have enough deep skill set yet to see if mm-hmm. what I could do was going to be translatable. And, and I was very agnostic, meaning that I wasn't evangelical about my way and it's the only way. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I want to find the way. That's mm-hmm. why my, my curiosity was so wide open. And I was able to quickly identify and see what was a bunch of crap that was a lot of times in sports psych, self-help, personal development books. I'm like, well, this breaks on the field of play. Like this doesn't apply at all. Like it just causes my athletes to think way more. Mm. But because I was getting people such good results, then my name became more well-known and I could get to access to better and better quality people. So getting back to the whole question of if you're just starting out, put in the work. But when you're putting in the work, instead of you doubting it, like show up for that 30 minutes when you're out there taking, you know, landscape shots as, you know, this creative free spirit possibly that's imbued with the traits and qualities of, you know, Annie Leibovitz or, you know, Nick Onkin or insert the name of, you know, you know, could be McKinnon or like these people who are out there that, yeah. that have got phenomenal skill and you, 
you'll be shocked at how much more quickly you develop yourself. Mm. Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hour rule. Yeah. And in my experience, I can short circuit that by leveraging someone else's 10,000 hours that they've gone and done mm. and still putting in the work because I am now moving past and around because the reason that the 10,000 hour rule there from my experience is because some people just finally need to get to the place where they trust themselves. Mm. And it takes 5,000 hours in order to make that happen for some people. Right. Well, if I'm activating an identity right off the bat that already trusts itself, I can shrink down the amount of time it takes me to develop these skills and feel comfortable with them. Right. I feel like they're a part of my DNA a lot faster. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're someone who is struggling with charging from what I've experienced, you've, I had these conversations in the past, you're taking your creative self, the person who does the photography into the moment where you're actually being the business person. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's where a lot of people need to create an identity that shows up <laughs> in those moments. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because think about that. You are one person who's honoring the skills of this creative talent that's over here inside of you. And now this business self is gonna go and say, no, 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 like photographer Nick deserves this money. Right. And now it's, it, it creates this, the, the root of the word alter ego comes from Cicero in 44 BC. And it comes from the meaning or its root meaning means the other I and trusted friend. And we all know the power of allies and friends and a great network around us. We know that that powerful, those, the more relationships that we have that are at a high level mm -hmm. just ascends us to the success levels that we want a lot faster because doors get open for us. Yeah, And yet we recognize that it's, that's important outside of us, but very few people have taken the steps to create that trusted friend and ally between the six inches of your own ears where you live 24 seven. Mm -hmm. And me having an advocate inside of myself that will not allow someone to diminish my value by trying to negotiate my rates down to poverty levels will never, ever happen. Yeah. I know at this level of my career, I am the global expert and I am the world's best at shifting someone's identity rapidly because I've got the hours. Yeah. I've got the book that says it too. <laughs> but in that business sense, I'm not going to, it's like, no, you want, like, if you want this, then you pay. That's just the rate. Yeah. That's just yeah. what it's going to cost you. Now, if you need to go to therapy for the cost, that's on you. That's not on me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, how much do you want to honor your value? Right. No, to the to you that's listening, like, when are you going to? Yeah. And when I say, when are you going to, because words matter, maybe there is another version of you that can answer that question in a different way. Yeah. That traits are someone that deeply values the incredible production value of what you can put out there. Yeah. And you don't need to charge. Again, some people, they try to outcharge their current level of value. Mm -hmm. And that's not you judging yourself. That's just being a little bit pragmatic. Yeah. Some of us are just starting out. Yeah. But review it every three months and up it. Yeah. Like keep on progressing. Yeah, and I'm sure probably part of that is is also contingent on the demand, right? The yep. more demand that comes in, you know, is also kind of a reflection of the actual like product or or level of what you're creating. Yep. So 
as the demand increases, you can increase your in in charge as you're putting in those reps, as you're getting better, as you're creating a better portfolio. Yeah, and it goes to the market that you're serving as well, right? If you wanna if you wanna be the savior for people who don't have very much money, that's fine. You could be producing the exact same quality product as someone who goes and produces content or creative work for really wealthy clients. Right. And, they, and you can charge something that's vastly, vastly different. And that's one thing that a lot of people will miss in that. There's, there's an element of like, you know, just business awareness that comes into that too. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, like with you, I mean, I love the, I love the phrase that you talk about with, with your work, which makes you really unique is that elevated realism mm-hmm. that you've got where some people try to go like really way beyond into the ethereal, but because of the clientele you work with, mm-hmm. you still want that person to come across to their audience as approachable, right. you know, because if they're so far gone, then it's really hard for someone to relate to them. And especially in a world nowadays where you're communicating, there's an open line of communication all the time on social media. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and it's, it's, it's interesting that you're bringing that elevated realism, you're bringing that back down to, and that's just kind of like where we go with that clientele, but then there's yeah. different, you know, different types of clients that need different things. Well, what do you see? What do you see as like one or two of the biggest challenges that people are going through that are good? Like not just the people who are just starting out because the people who are starting out, they're just a process, you know? Yeah. Put one foot in front of the other, keep on doing the reps and you're going to, and you're also going to discover your abilities in that process. Yeah. But for people that are good, mm-hmm. that are under indexing on either their ability to get clients or their rates, what's some of the challenge that you see? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, well, there's two different business models, right? Like I'm doing the, the personal branding for entrepreneurs, completely different business model than doing the commercial work these yeah. days. And the commercial work is, you know, the industry has shifted in the sense of like the clients are very much dictating the pricing. They're like, oh, we'll just get the next person to do it. Mm-hmm. Versus with the personal branding stuff, for me, it's a lot more specialized. And I bring like my celebrity work, my advertising work, all that experience I bring to the personal brand. And now I'm, I can charge a premium rate. If you don't like it, then go to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that world for me is, is a good sweet spot in terms of that in terms of what the problems that I'm seeing with the commercial work is exactly that. Like you're having a lot of the big players who've been big players for a long time, having a hard time still making the same more same or more money that they used to make when clients were just throwing money at photography. Yeah. Now they're having to split you know, the same budget across instead of two shoots, it's 10 shoots. Mm-hmm. So they have half a million dollars or whatever it is for their marketing budget. They have to do you know, 10x more shoots, which means they have to divide up. And is, and is that because the demand for more content production is there? Yeah. Yeah. And they consider it disposable because it's just like it goes on a 24-hour cycle once it's yeah. posted, right? So, yeah. so much of it is just more like social media driven. Interesting. Still the same amount of work for the photographer and for yeah. the production and everything. Yeah. But it's less, you know, it's less precious. It's less. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the big, the big issue. That well, and that goes, and that goes now into the value of having your own personal brand and platform because that increases the value that you can charge because I know from a business perspective knowing that you know because that can be written into the contract of well would you share the content that you produce for us to your own audience if it's a good match right like I mean if your audience matches up well with the 
the commercial client that you'd be working with. And then there's the side on the personal branding side. Like it, it definitely doesn't hurt that, you know, I get to say that the guy who took my photos also takes Usher's photos that, you know, up levels yeah. the cool factor around <laughs> me and God knows I need it. So, <laughs> but all those things are, that's, that's what, what I call necessarily, that's what I call like the soft sell around the hard sell. Yeah. I'm buying the output of personal branded photography. Yeah. But then there's the soft sell, which is the story that goes along with whatever that, per, where that purchase come from, yeah. came from. And from my perspective, that's why I, my philosophy is I always work with the best in an industry. Mm-hmm. And this is maybe a good, whether it's a business tip or just a life tip for people here is the great thing about working only with the best is a, you end up picking up a full, a lot of amazing principles and paradigms on how you could be approaching things differently because you see the best do things slightly differently. But the second thing is, is access. When you Mm. have given someone who's in the best in the industry money (laughs) that, you know, that automatically puts you into the top of their, you know, who, who they're paying attention to, but best of the best people hang out with best of the best people. Yeah. And then they end up introducing you. So you end up building up a Rolodex that's just, I mean, you've seen this in your own experience, right? Absolutely. And it's its such a faster way to get to wherever you're trying to go as yeah. well. And then on the, on the third and final one is you just get the best stuff. And it yeah. saves you a lot of time because, yeah. you know, I think when, when you sent me over from our shoot, your stuff, I don't even know if I had an edit on something. Yeah. I'm serious. I don't even know if I had an edit to tell you, or I, I think you just, I think it was just, yeah, no, of these, you know, 400 photos, these 398 are my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, we definitely work with the best and and at the end of the day, you either pay for it or you, you're going to pay for it or you pay for it. Right. Yeah. So you either pay for it up front and hire the best or you don't hire the best, but you end up paying for it in the end. And I've done that I've learned that lesson a couple times of yeah. like hiring somebody who wasn't the best. Yeah. And then I just like have to pay, have to redo things down the road. And yeah, I've got the scars from it too. Yeah. I've got the scars from that too. And in, in the end too, what, what the, the ultimate cost is time, which is just something none of us get back. Yeah. You know, absolutely. money can be re-earned. Not that we all want to be, you know, losing <laughs> money here, but time is far more costly. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, make sure as a creative, I, you know, it's like delivering the best that you can deliver on time and early, mm-hmm. you know, and oh, man, you know, Nick, it's like, I, it's, it's like, it's crazy, Nick. I mean, you know, whether it's web designers or graphic designers or photographers or anyone that's producing creative stuff, I think it's so easy to be good. It is so easy to beat other people because so many people just have really bad habits. They yeah. they don't respond on time. They don't get their work to you when they said they were going to get it to you. And I mean, I have this uh, private group that I that I have, and, and you and I are in groups together. Yeah. That when I come across someone that actually that's on the creative side of things and finished a project ahead of time, or was just an amazing communicator with me, I am. You know, I'm a big loudmouth. I'm an A, I'm an extrovert anyway, <laughs> but I'm a loudmouth when it comes to, you know, awesome people yeah. because, you know, I want that person to get as much business as possible because of that so that my friends don't have to deal with those painful experiences of working with tough people. Oh, it's and worst. it's just, it's so, I think it's so easy to be great. Yeah. And I mean, that's even something to build into your business alter ego, right? Is to, yeah. you know, 
be an efficient creative. Like, oh, yeah. like I've hired web designers and web people. I'm like, you can't deliver when you say you're going to deliver it. Like, deliver when you yeah. say you're going to deliver or before. Yeah. And like, you know, under promise over deliver. So then that person is like, you know, you're yeah. like, oh my God, I love this person. Like I'm going to hire him again. And if you want to make money and you want to deliver, yeah, uh, you want to work with clients and you want to make this your living, be excellent at business. So here's a great, like just a, a even super tactical example. I had a friend who's, who runs a, a video production studio and he had a lot, he, they produced great stuff, which then created demand and a lot of people would reach out to them and he lost more business because he was terrible at getting back to people. The other side of it, when I unpacked it with him was that he didn't want to appear as being too eager or not busy. So he would wait a couple of days. It was the, he was sort of adopting the psychology from like the dating world of you don't want to seem too needy, but you need to not do that in business. It's the exact opposite. So I said, well, stop sitting down and looking at your email as you. Because your current version of you is freaking terrible at it, okay? (laughs) So you suck at this right now. Just honor the fact that you suck at this right now. But if you sat down and email was the battlefield and you were Alexander the Great, what would you do? Yeah. And, And so his entire philosophy now, and he actually has it written on his MacBook, is attack. Attack every email. Get it done. Get it done. Because I want to win those little battles. And he has got, I mean, the growth that he's had in his production company in the last couple of years is off the charts. That's amazing. Yeah. So even there, like we all shapeshift. Yeah. Even like every single moment when we move into another situation and circumstance, when we sit down to do this podcast, this is another opportunity for me to bring out another side of myself if needed. Mm -hmm. I just did the Today Show last week. And I've done a lot of interviews. I've done a lot of media. And my wife said, uh, you know, the thing I fell in love with you for is this like jokey, playful, you know, person. And it just doesn't come out as much as it should on these interviews. And she's like, you know, I think some of it is the blazer. Like you've worn that blazer in pockets where you've had that uniform for such a long time. And so she kind of challenged me and I thought about it. And I said, you know, like it's a lifestyle, it's a lifestyle television show because it's today's show. Mm -hmm. And I love Hugh Jackman and I love Ryan Reynolds, my fellow Canadian. And, And I said, okay, fine. Those, that's who I'm going to show up as on there. I'm going to be way more playful. And so then when I thought through all my stories that I typically tell, I thought, how could I end it in a more playful way? And that show was out of, because I just heard from the Today Show, they rebooked me for a couple more uh, shows. They they said that was the most watched show on the entire NBC platform last week. Wow. Was my interview. That's great. And it went off the rails big time. From behind the scenes, the teleprompter broke. (laughs) <laughs> there was two guest hosts, Holly, Holly Robinson, Pete and Jennifer Nettles, who were amazing to meet, but the teleprompter broke. So they didn't have any of the questions. And I saw the teleprompter break about 30 seconds in. And I was like, okay, I need to steer the ship now and keep it on track. So there's a bit of beginning, middle and end to this yeah. whole narrative. Yeah. And it went off amazing. We played off each other. It's very, very conversational. And then at the end of it, Jenna Bush, when the camera stopped, she reached over, tapped me on the knee and said, thank you. Thank you for being a pro because this segment would have gone off the rails fast. Wow. And then the producer came up. They all thanked me for really being that prepped. But it was, that was Hugh Jackman and that was Ryan Reynolds in that moment. (laughs) And again, this is fun. Like we all have these traits inside of us. We got to allow ourselves 
to to let them come out and not just define ourselves in a few different ways by our, yeah. our past stories and, and and stuff. Absolutely. Well, one thing I want to t- touch on before we kind of wrap up is the fake it till you make it idea. Mm-hmm. And I know we talked a little bit about that before, but I think I know also creatives kind of, there is this big thing in the world of creativity of, of faking it till you make it. Yeah. And, you know, you talk a lot about that with a lot of people have questions around that with the alter ego effect yeah. and, and the book and all that stuff. So how does that work? So fake it till you make it just for, as a term is terrible. Like words matter in the way, in the way that we right. operate in the world. We're the, we're, we're the only species that creates our world through words. Yeah. You know, you can describe one situation as being hard. I can look at it as being fun. And that all of a sudden changes our entire emotional approach to the actual moment as well. Yeah. And so fake it till you make it. It's just a, it's a bad idea that's out there. But alter egos are A, they're naturally built inside of the human psyche. You know, we, we played with these as kids yeah. and, and then we forget them. We, we get told to grow up or act your age or whatever and we think that we need to be more serious and we start walking away from our superpower that we have, which is the creative imagination. Yeah. But faking it till you make it in most contexts that people are saying it is a lot of times that there's a there's an sort of mindset of deception, like you're deceiving other people. Mm-hmm. And if your intention to do this is to try to trick other people, then yeah, that's totally you being, you know, fake and inauthentic because authenticity and authentic, that's like a super popular thing nowadays. Yeah. And I had alluded to this earlier. People need to realize there is no such thing as a self. There is no one self. We have many selves that shows up in the world through the ways that we get brought into different situations and different roles. And so first I just honoring the fact that we've got many selves, we've got many shades of ourselves, many mm-hmm. sides to ourselves. So that means that there's no such thing as the authentic self. Mm-hmm. I've never heard a successful human being sports, public figures, leaders, business people that have done some tremendous stuff ever say, you know what? It's because I was authentic throughout. <laughs> because think about it. We're always bumping up against comfort zones. Yeah. And so we need to reinvent ourselves. Yeah. And so, you know, who I am today is different than who I was a year ago. And I hope it's a better version of myself. Yeah. So does that mean that the who I was a year ago was inauthentic? No. That was just me doing the best that I can. I'm just trying to give people the psychological tools because that's where most people struggle with. Right. To get them to take the action they need to take, get them to the destination and enjoy the process along the path. Yeah. So it's not, this isn't about being inauthentic. This is about truly you discovering and revealing to yourself the most real version of you that there is. Yeah, and almost stepping into the aspirational piece of who you want to be. Yeah, 100%. I love that. And so again, it starts with intention. If your intention is to do it, to deceive and trick other people, then, you know, you're going to trap yourself with that. But if your intention is to really bring out and show and decide how you want to be showing up, I'm not going to allow other people to decide and dictate how I'm supposed to show up. I'm going to show up no matter what. And I'm going to show up and bring this side of this, this version of me. And, you know, if it gets accepted by some people, great. If it doesn't, you know, I don't know what's going on inside of their heads. (laughs) Yeah. So. And everybody comes at, I mean, we're all just a reflection of what's happening around us and yeah. our own perspectives. And you can only control who you are and what you bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure that I'm not, you know, because you, that's an interesting quote that you have there around, we're all reflections of what's going on around us. Sometimes though, the stuff that's going on around us can be very, very negative, right. but I still want to own my space, right? right? Like there's a lot of toxic narrative inside of America right now. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to be a reflection of that toxic narrative. Right. I still want to own my spot. So yeah. no matter what, I'm going to still act with in the values that I have around how the, how other people should be treated. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's a, it's a, it's a, 
a reflection of of what's inside as to what's yes. happening around us. Yeah, hundred percent. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the idea that you know if you're out on the street and all you're doing is commenting to your friends about how everyone's so negative and did you see that person over there and you know they didn't even hold the door for them. Like that's a reflection of how you know you're experiencing the world on the inside. Exactly. The other side of it is you could have a friend who's standing there going, "What are you talking about? Did you see that?" like that boy and that guy and girl that were making out in the corner over there. And did you see that old lady who held the door for that big construction worker who was going out with all the sandwiches and coffees for his, you know, his buddies? (laughs) Like, you know, again, that's a great example of what you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Well, one last question I'd love to ask all my guests is what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you? Live inspiration mean to me is 100% staying tapped into this creative and playful self within within me and not forgetting that at the highest growth rate of my entire life, six months to seven years of age, that's where I was killing it the most. Yeah. And the more I can stay tapped into being playful, the more I can allow the the tough things that can end up happening to me just be waters off water off a duck's back because it doesn't have to be my story. I so love that. live with inspiration is a lot about intention. Love it. Love it. And where can people find you on the interwebs and follow you and all that good stuff? Yeah, we have a carrier pigeon landing center outside of now. <laughs> um, that's the only way uh, to get hold of you. That's the only way to get in front. Of, yeah. So toddherman.me is my home base on the interwebs. Todd underscore Herman on Instagram is where they can find me. I'm on Facebook as well, but toddherman.me is is the home base and alteregoeffect.com is the link where you can find links and more videos around the actual book itself. But uh, yeah, I mean, I love working with creatives and, you know, getting them to get themselves out there more. I love it. Yeah. You can see all the awesome photos we took on Todd's website as well. It's all Nick Onkin. (laughs) It should be Nick Onkin's website. (laughs) (laughs) And go pick up the book. I think it'll be a huge game changer for you and your creative world. So thanks thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks, mate. Thank you, ladies and gents, for tuning in to today's episode of Neon Radio with Todd Herman. I am your host, Nick Onkin, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you find some nuggets that you can apply to your creative career and performance. Don't forget to go over, and uh, if you haven't done so, take the Neon Life quiz over at neonlife.com slash quiz. It's N-I-O-N, life.com slash quiz. It's a quick 10-question survey and we'll serve you up some free content to help you with where you're at in your creative journey. And also, if you enjoyed today's episode, would love it if you could just pop over to Apple Podcasts and give us a good five-star rating and a nice review. It just helps us to get more earbuds in the mix. So, hope you enjoyed it. If you want to join the community, you can go over to neonlife.com slash community. Join the Facebook group with other creatives and connect with others. So with that, you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time.